Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher, Jr. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast and get your copy of Only One Shot that's available on Amazon. Today we have LPGA legend Nancy Lopez with us on the podcast. She'd help grow the game on the LPGA, and not just the LPGA, but all over the world, with not only her talents, but the way she conducted herself and mastering the game while being a mom, traveling the world, playing against the best golfers in the women's game. And I can't wait uh, to hear from Nancy, and uh, let's get Nancy on the phone. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome Nancy Lopez to the podcast. Nancy, I am so excited to have you on here today. Well, thanks, Jim, for asking me. I look forward to our talk today. Yeah, uh, you know, we're both, uh, we've both had a, a really fun time playing golf and everything. We look back on our career, but my dad was my instructor, uh, and your dad got you started. What was that like with him uh, kind of getting you started and growing up? Well, you know... I truly always give credit to my dad for my success because he was the best um, sports dad, I would call him. Uh, because when I started playing the game, at I was almost eight when I started, but I, was, I would follow my mom and dad around the golf course. And yeah, dad didn't really throw the cut in my hand. He kind of asked for it. Mm-hmm. And the only instruction he gave me back in those days, and he, had, he had a really strong Spanish accent. And he was just adorable. And he looked at me and he said, Nancy, every time you swing the club, make connections. Well, that was my first and really the only lesson I really remember at that young age. And with that, my dad always just supported me uh, from the day I started playing golf. And he took me to my first peewee tournament when I was eight years old. Um, started playing the uh, New Mexico Women's State Amateur at age 10. He just wanted me to have the experience, and he was the type of dad that I would say, Dad, I want to get better. I want to, I want to win. I want to get better. He said, well, let's just go work a little harder, but I never, Jim, never ever felt pressure from my dad. I think sometimes the, the sports parents of today, <clears throat> um, I think, make their kids fear failure. Uh, dad never did that. If I didn't play well that day, he always had a hug for me and never said, why did you do this or what happened? He said, let's just go work a little harder. Um, so I wasn't afraid to fail because mm-hmm. you know, you're going to fail a lot in golf. And you've got to have somebody that's going to be supportive and you know be there to pick you up when you fall down. And my dad was pretty much that person. And um, I just loved golf because of that. He let me love the game. Uh, I learned from failure. He was my best friend, um, and I think really with all that, I was so positive on the golf course, and that helped me to be successful. Well, you know, that's just great advice, not just in sports but in life. I think that we all can learn from that because I think we as parents want our best for our kids, but sometimes we get in the way, and there are parents, and, and I've been trying to not be that parent, but sometimes it's almost like you live in your sports through yourself, through them. And I think that's where you got to right. be really, really careful. But you mentioned uh, uh, playing in the New Mexico Women's Am. You win at 12. You win the U.S. Girls at 15 and 17. Did you start thinking about playing golf in college at any point, or when did you start thinking about playing college golf? Um, you know, I playing on uh, as an amateur and playing – for example, in the U.S. Women's Open, um, you know, being around professionals and, and 
you know, walking down the driving range and looking at all those really beautiful big golf bags with their name on them and, and seeing reps bring free golf balls and free gloves. I'm like, wow, that looks like a great lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we didn't have a lot, but my dad worked really hard to give me what he could. So I never felt like I didn't have a lot. But I remember just kind of watching the ladies and wondering, were they really happy mm-hmm. doing what they're doing? I knew they'd be traveling and, and trying to make a living playing a game that I loved, but could I do it? And so after high school, a lot of people were trying to encourage me to turn professional, and I really wasn't ready. I, I felt like I wanted to play college golf. I loved school. Um, I loved, um, you know, playing on the boys' golf team when I was in high school, and knowing I was going to be able to play on the girls' golf team, I was looking forward to that. And then, of course, now I was trying to find a college that would give me a scholarship, because I remember telling my dad, you know, Dad, you spent so much money on my life so far. If I don't get a scholarship, I'm not going to school. And he was really disappointed to hear that because he went to the third grade and he wanted something better for me. Mm. And I just said, no, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it, Dad. So I started looking at schools that might give me a scholarship. I wanted to go to Arizona State forever. and no scholarships for girls. And then I ended up winning the Colgate Palmolive Golf Scholarship. Um and that was for a player with a good golf game, good grades, and the need. Um, and uh, Mr. Foster was just the best. Uh, and he was a big advocate for women's golf or amateur golf. So I won a partial scholarship through the Colgate Pomal Golf Scholarship Fund. And then Tulsa University was trying to start a team, and they were the only college that would give me a partial scholarship. So with the Colgate Scholarship and Tulsa Scholarship, uh, I was able to get a full ride for the four, five years, whatever I was going to do um, when I was in school. So um, that's why I kind of went to Tulsa, but went there too because they had a great engineering school. And I thought if I can't make money playing golf, I can make money as an engineer. And I always joke that, you know, I was good with numbers back then. Now I can only add up my score. <laughs> um, <laughs> you kind of go brain dead for a little bit. But after two years at Tulsa University, I was making straight C's in all my classes, and I was pretty much reprimanded in that I had to pick up my grade average, or I wasn't going to be able to play in the girls' golf team. And so, at that time, I had played, played in a lot of collegiate events, won a lot of them, and I think I got a little bored with golf at that time. And so, I kind of thought, wow, what do I really want to do here? Should I try the tour? Am I good enough? Will I be able to make a living out there? And I decided that I needed to do that. So that's when I went out on the tour in 1977. Uh, July, I qualified for my card. And um, you know, excited and really blessed and fortunate that I did as well as I did because I had money in my pocket pretty quick. And that was great because I didn't want my dad to have to sponsor me. I wanted to be on my own. Yeah, that's a great story because I think so many people, we see so many players now both on the men's and the women's side, turning pro so young. And very few people are Jordan Spieth, Lydia Ko, uh, the names go on that have that instant success. So the college experience is real important. But it's hard for kids to to go to college and juggle. Even today, it's so much different than when we were in college. I mean, they're working out at 5.30 in the morning. They're going to class. They're practicing. Uh, they're going to tournaments. They're trying to keep up with school. So it's, it's a full-time job in college now where – I think when we were in there, it was a little, maybe less 
I don't. I didn't work out, and maybe that's why I don't work out to the day. But uh, <laughs> probably should have worked out. I might have played longer. But uh, you know, I just think it's it's an interesting because you had a lot of success even while you were in college in the U.S. Open and in the Curtis Cup team. So it probably was time to turn pro. But you mentioned you got your card early. You won early. What was that? What was that first year like? Now you've gone from pretty quick junior golf to to college golf or amateur golf, and now you're on the the LPGA. What was that first year like for you? on the LPGA? Well, you know, I, I went out there thinking, well, you know, I was number one amateur, but it took me a while. So I always looked at it this way. I was at the bottom of the tournament pole as an amateur. I made it to the top. And when I went on the LPGA tour, even though I was an accomplished amateur player, was I going to be able to do anything good on the LPGA tour? And so when I got my card, I thought, okay, let's see. I'd like to, I'm starting at the bottom of the totem pole. I'd like to win one tournament this year. That, that would be my goal. And I was always a goal setter, Jim. I, I think it was good to set goals and good to set them high because then you worked towards that goal. And for me, uh, that was my goal, winning one tournament. Well, I ended up, I finished second in my first three LPJ events, which were in the end of 77. So I guess I had money in my pocket pretty quickly. And then I went to my first event in 78 in Sarasota, Florida in February, and I won my first LPGA event. And it just kind of, it, it started the ball rolling. Once I, I think every player, PGA or LPGA, I think, can I win? And I think once you win, you kind of answer your own question, and it just seemed like it's easier to win after I won that first one. Um, you know, a lot of pressure in that first event winning. I remember I had about a two-footer to tap in to win the tournament. I was—I didn't think I could ever take the putter back. <laughs> and, and just kind of stood there over that putt. It seemed like an eternity. And it felt like the putt kept getting longer and longer. And I, I made that putt, and there was so much excitement from me and emotion because my mom had passed away a few months earlier. My dad wasn't with me. Um, so there was a lot of emotion in that first win. Um, and then I ended up winning nine that year, five in a row. And, you know, the golf world kind of opened up to me. And um, it was fun. I mean, here I was 21 years old, and um, everybody wanted to know what I was thinking. Everybody wanted, you know, there were perks and winning tournaments. All the sponsors wanted you to be there at their event. And um, it was just an exciting time uh, for a young person like myself who, came from very humble beginnings and knowing that, wow, you know, unfortunately, like I said, my mom had passed away, but I knew I could do some special things for my dad now that I was winning money, and it was it was so much fun. I loved it. The press was good to me. I, you know, I'm a good talker. I can talk to anybody. I like to talk. I like to tell stories, and so the press kind of wrapped their arms around me, and they were very positive. You know, the press can be really hard on you sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no. So it was it was a fun first year, and then of course they were a little tough to me too because then it was like you know are you a flash in the pan? You know is this just going to be a one year deal? So then the, the the term sophomore slump started creeping into the questions. You know how about next year you're going to have a sophomore slump? And I pretty much said to myself, No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you so deal? How do you deal? How, how do you deal with the pressures and expectations, not only of the outside world but your own? I mean, sometimes they can strangle yeah. you. Your own expectations. How did you deal with that? So young. They can. They can. But you know, I, I think what's what my dad taught me and how he taught me to really love the game and enjoy it. And 
you know, he'd always say, it's just a game. Do not let it control you. And I think with all the stuff my dad taught me as I was learning the game, I just didn't let those things bother me. So that second year was more like, okay, I'm going to prove to them that I am not what they say I could be. And I ended up winning eight tournaments my second year. And so that kind of slammed the door on that question, which was, you know, fortunate enough to do that. But, you know, I just, Jim always loved golf. I never felt pressure, like I said, because my dad didn't make me feel pressure. Um, and I, I think when I was out there, you know, every shot I stood over, I just wanted to make my best effort to get the best that I could. Because that's what my dad pretty much taught me. And if I didn't you know, play well, I, I remember, I think with my dad watching me every day play with him, he saw when my emotions would change when I would get angry internally and, and as a young person. Because mm-hmm. I think when you're young, you're not real patient. <clears throat> and, uh, and he would see that when I didn't, I, I wasn't holding it together that I played poorly. And, um, you know, he always had anecdotes for me. He, this was one of them. He looked at me one day after I guess I got pretty fumed up. Of course, I never threw a club, never slammed a club. But he walked up to me and in his cute little Spanish voice, he said, Nancy, you want to shoot 39 or you want to shoot 40? I said, Dad, I want to shoot 39. He goes, well, when you get mad, you shoot 40. And when he said that, I'm like, wow, that makes sense. And even though it was one shot, 39 to 40 seemed like 10 shots because I didn't like four zero on my scorecard. Um, so he was just always saying things like that to me to make me realize that I didn't need to play worse. What was going to help me play better and what was going to help me play better was to be able to control my emotions with the playing golf. I'm not saying that I never got angry internally, but, you know, sometimes that anger was good for me, but I never got angry in a way that it hurt my golf game. He sounded like a sports psychologist, instructor, dad, the whole works all in one, and that's that's an awesome person to have on your side because they, they want the best for you. But he also told you things that, you know, at the time maybe you needed to hear. He didn't tell you, hey, you're the best, you're the best. Sometimes you need to hear the truth. It sounded like he told you the truth a bunch, and I think that was a big plus for you, don't you? It was, Jim. You know, my dad was just, um, he was a realist in that he would always teach me what was really going to happen. I remember the day he told me, you're going to lose a lot more than you win. And he didn't say it in a negative way. He wanted me to be a good loser. Yeah. I mean, because you don't always, you're not always a good loser, but you know, you can be a good winner. But how do you handle losing? And he would always say that to me. Because he wanted me to realize that golf wasn't perfect and I wasn't going to win all the time. And, you know, and, and it was always good that he would say things like that to me because he always kept me grounded when I was out there on the golf course. And I have, have a story when I was playing in the Women's US Open as an amateur in Philadelphia. This golf course ate my lunch. I mean, I just didn't play good. I worked really hard to get ready for that US Open. And after two days, I was like, 12, 13 over par, no, knew I was going to miss a cut. And I walked off the 18th game on the second day on Friday, and I walked up to my dad with tears in my eyes, and I hugged him. And, you know, I, I really wanted to play golf, not just for myself, but for my dad, because he was just a great dad. And when I hugged him and I said, Dad, I'm so sorry I didn't play better, he hugged me back and he looked at me and he said, he said, Nancy, I didn't want to see you at 25 over par anyway. <laughs> 
That's a great answer. That's a great answer. And I started laughing. I've, I went from some, you know, severe mourning. I hated that I played that. I'm crying. And he said that. And I just started laughing. And so that's how my dad was. He always did could help me get out of a, a funky mood after playing golf by saying something like that. And that's just how he was. Do you remember the first event he was uh, on site when you won, when he was there with you? Do you remember that first event when you won? Wow, the first event that I won that he was with me. Ooh, that's a good question. I can't remember. Do you remember the emotions, though? Lot. I know you remember the, the emotions. Oh, yeah. That's that's the part I'm trying to get no. to, not so much the specific yeah. one. Do you remember those emotions? Well, he was always the second person I hugged because it was always my caddy first and then my dad. Um, and he, you know, he would run out on the green and he was just, he was so cute. He would kind of shuffle out there on the green and give me a big hug. And I just, I felt that he was so proud of me. And that was the best feeling. Um, I think all of us want our parents to, I think we want all of our parents to just be really proud of us all the time. And so, um, you know, he was special, and I wanted to make him feel that way. Yeah, I mean, I remember my dad caddied for me in the Indiana State Amp both times I won back-to-back in the hug at the end. And it's that it's that feeling you have, even when you're three years old, that you've accomplished something, your mom or dad look up at you going like, way to go. Yeah. Uh, or you look yeah. up at them, I, I should say. So, I mean, that's that's the part I think is, is, like you said, you get to that point, like you are playing for yourself, but also – for your parents and to, and just to make them proud of you. And we do that as adults. We do that our whole lives, I think, for some reason. That's just who we are as humans. But uh, you become a mom for the first time, and you're playing the LPGA, playing well. What was that like, that first, you know, now I'm a mom. I've had all this great success. I'm traveling with a, a baby and trying to play because, you know, I watch it today when I cover the LPGA. I'm amazed how you all can do that and play well at that at the top level against the best how did how were you able to do that i know you love being a mom because it's one of the greatest blessings we are given yes it, we that is um <clears throat> i look back now i'm going i think the only way you can handle that is because you're young first of all. yeah <laughs> um I, and after i had ashley which you know i didn't know for sure what i was going to do after i had my first child because you know golf kind of kind of ties your hands and what am I going to do? You know, mm-hmm. I'm playing and I want to have children. I don't want golf, my career to stop me from having children. Um, and of course, at that time we had no daycare, you know, now smokers is a big sponsor daycare and other, and other companies that help our daycare on the LPG tour. But back then we had no daycare. So only because fortunately I was, I was making money, I could hire a full-time nanny to travel with me and to take care of Ashley. And, it, you know, it was a lot of juggling, a lot of money. You know, now you're spending money on two more tickets, another hotel room, um, connecting doors, um, another rental car because of all the stuff you had. Um, it didn't fit in one car. Um, we didn't have wheels on uh, luggage back then. Mm, that's true. So you're, you're t- you always had to find somebody to help you with luggage. In some places, there weren't people to help you with your luggage. Um, but trying to juggle that, you know, was, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. I loved it. I love that Ashley was traveling with me and her dad said, you know, take her with you. You need her there. Um, of course, you know, after I was done playing, I was tired. Um, and I figured it out. I, 
told her, my nanny, you know, I'm I'm headed home, back to the room, give me a good hour to just kind of, you know, unwind because, you know, when you're playing golf and I was winning, you know, someone was always in my face talking to me and telling me what a great player I was and all that. It was wonderful, but you, you just you have it all day long and you're exhausted. And so <clears throat> I, I would call her from the golf course. Of course, we didn't have cell phones back then and say, I'm coming home to me. Please take uh, Ashley out for a little bit and let me just rest a little bit. So she would, and I'd lay on that bed in silence for about an hour, and then she'd bring Ashley back. And then I could be the mom I needed to be. I didn't want to be short with her because I was tired. Um, and, it, you know, the traveling was tough. But it was It was great to have this little baby with me that, I loved and adored and worshipped, of course. I think we all worship our children. Um, and because I was young and I was I was a type person who was, you know, very uh, organized, which I don't know how people do it if they're not organized. No, they don't do it very well. Everything. It's, it's hard, but, but I, I, you know, I scheduled everything, called the hotel early, called my needed refrigerator there, and then I go to the grocery store when I got into that city got all kinds of stuff for Ashley to have while she was in the room. Um, you know, I planned things for the nanny to take her to zoos or parks or something. So they weren't just stuck in that room. So I was trying to keep my child entertained too while I was playing golf. And, and you know, for a lot of the women on the LPGA tour at that time, you know, you pretty much brought your child to the city. Um, you would uh, leave them with somebody that was recommended. Uh, you don't know who you're really leaving your child with. It wasn't a daycare. So just somebody that somebody recommended. And so to me, you have to have peace. When you're a mother playing on the LPGA Tour and you're, you've got young children, especially in, in those days, have a young child, you've got to be able to go on the golf course and completely concentrate for, you know, four and a half hours knowing your child is okay. So having a full-time nanny, I was able to do that. And I know other players didn't have that. And... It would have been a struggle, I think, for me to, to not really know who my child was really with, even though people did recommend them. That's why I think that daycare now, it's opened a lot of doors for, for women to have children and know that they can take their child somewhere that they know is going to be constant every week um, for their children to be able to be with other children that have golfing mothers. And, um, you know, then we'll go out there and play golf and enjoy it and not worry. Yeah, Stacy Lewis won the Scottish last year. It was the first time as a mom, and it just—I I just I've got to know her and and Garrett very well. And I, you're right, the daycare is a blessing. It was the same for us on the PJ Tour, even though I was the one playing. For Sissy out there traveling with not just one, but Thomas and even Kathleen, and then they kind of once they started school, they quit traveling as much. But it made it so right. much easier. Like you said, there's just that peace when you're out there on the golf course, but there's nothing better when you come back after you've played and you see that smiling face that loves you and doesn't care if you've shot 75 or 65 and doesn't know really the difference. <laughs> Other than my kids, as they got older, did you make the cut so we can stay in daycare over the weekend? They were, they were more, I'm more disappointed them when I missed a cut because now they had to go home and couldn't go to daycare or childcare there. So, uh, and, and they keep, you know, what's really great about it is they keep up, my kids keep up with some of the kids that they were in, in the uh, childcare on the tour with. And, and it's really cool to see that. And it's, you're seeing that now on the LPGA, but you know, it is, I can't imagine yeah. being a mom. I mean, cause dads have got it easy. We know that. Uh, and then try to do and be as good as you were, as great as you were, but you qualify for the LPGA hall of fame at, 
you know, with your 35th win and less than 10 years of that. Did you ever dream something like that could happen? I mean, I know you dreamed that you wanted to play the LPGA, you would play great. Did you ever imagine you would be in the LPGA Hall of Fame, the World Golf Hall of Fame, and accomplish what you'd accomplished so young? I imagine I really didn't because the the criteria was so tough. I'm like, how will I ever do that? I mean, how does anybody ever do that? But um, you know, I ended up, uh, and one of one of the criteria was you had to be on the tour ten years before they would induct you into the LPGA Hall of Fame. And I was like, okay, I've made it before ten. I wish they'd induct me because what if I die before I'm, I, I read ten years on the LPGA tour? And I won't be at my induction ceremony. I kept thinking that. Um, so that was part of the criteria. <laughs> um, so it was really tough. I mean, and the thing was, he won 35 tournaments. No, sorry, it was 30 tournaments. I'm trying to remember the criteria. He had to win three different majors. I won 30 tournaments, but I kept winning the LPGA championship. For, I won it three times, but that would not get me into the Hall of Fame. So I had to win... 35 with one major, ah. which the LPGA, like I said, won three turn- times. They only counted as one major. Wow. So, And I won the Nabisco event, but it wasn't a major. And I won Euro- the European tournament, and it wasn't a major back then. So I had to win 35 okay. and, and one major. And then, and if you had no majors, you had to win 40 wow. on the LPGA Tour. So the criteria was really tough, and I just thought, you know, no one's ever going to reach that. But, of course, some people did. Um, and I was one of the, the few, I, I'm trying to think of Patty Sheehan was after me, but, um, you know, it was tough. And I just didn't think I'd do that. But, you know, I just wanted to play good. I wanted to win. And whatever happened was going to happen. And I just kept working on my game, trying to play better, trying to win. You know, I, I, I wish I would have, you know, I finished second in four U.S. Opens. And I wish I would have really focused more on the majors. And then I talked to Jack Nicholas one time and, he said he focused on only the majors. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, I wonder if I would have won the U.S. Open photo focused only on the majors. But I know the last year that I finished second in the U.S. Open, it was a pumpkin ridge in Borg, outside of Portland, Oregon, and I lost to Allison Nicholas. I know I focused on that one because I started working out with a trainer for two years. I worked out with a trainer. Got really the, I was in the best shape I'd been in a long time. My golf game was in great shape, and I ended up finishing second. And I think maybe if I would have done that, I probably could have won the U.S. Open. Um, and it was disappointing, but, you know, I, I, I just say, well, you know, not winning an Open hopefully doesn't define my career. Oh, it does not. I can share that with you. Arnold Palmer always wanted to win the PGA, and, and, and it, it just – did it when you got to the U.S. Open? Did you put extra pressure on yourself, maybe, when you got there, or are you just trying to play it as you would any other major? Or, you know, knowing you'd had success and you're trying to get that win. Did it kind of, you know, I'm not getting away, but did that kind of enter your mind any, or were you just uh, approaching it the same you would any other major? You know, I think there's always more pressure at the U.S. Open because you. I knew that I had to really have my best game because. The courses were long, the rough was high, the greens were really fast and undulating, and I knew I had to really be prepared for a U.S. Open golf course, and they were just tougher, mm-hmm. and you know, if you win the U.S. Open and you play four days of great golf, you really have deserved that win because it's not easy, and 
you know, back then we had two irons, Jim. You know, I'm referring to the two iron into a green that has a bunker, you know, right in front of the green, trying to get this turn up and over. And, and I was pretty long, so I could reach some of the par fives. But, you know, I didn't. I, I felt like I would have loved to have a hybrid or something back in those days. Um, but, I, you know, the, when I finished second of my first year, I was hoping it was the week before I went to qualifying school, and it was at Hazeltine. And I finished second in Hall of State. And I always tell the story because, you know, I, I really feel like that should have been my Open that I won. Mm-hmm. You know, and Hollis won quite a few. But you know, on Sunday, my the zipper on my pants broke. <laughs> and so... So I'm on national TV trying to keep my panties in my pants. And, <laughs> you know, thinking about that, it was really hard to focus because it, back then I always tell the ladies, you know, those zippers that you could zip down and they were like a plastic type zipper and you could zip back up and it repaired itself pretty much. Well, that's the kind of zipper I had on these pants. And but the thing was I would zip it down and zip it back up and as soon as I went down to read a putt, it would open up and I couldn't even read my putt <laughs> confidence. So I'm going to blame that open on my pants. Absolutely. And <laughs> why wouldn't you? I, I'm, I'm putting that down as the number one reason why. Next time it comes up, that's what I'm going to say. If I'm working Golf Central and your name comes up, it was because of the zipper on her pants. It just did not work out. I mean, we've got to have an excuse somewhere. But that's a great, yeah. that's a yeah. great story. Yeah, that happens. It's crazy how our mind works and the way it kind of wanders off at times, even under all that pressure. But you have some knee injuries, you have some injuries and all that. Uh, How difficult is it to play through an injury? And do you kind of play a little bit longer than you maybe you should and not let it heal? I mean, because you're wanting to play and compete. How tough is it to play with an injury? Fortunately, I never had to, so I was pretty lucky. Yeah, I was, you know, I I messed up my left knee playing flag football in high school, trying to raise money for our family, and, you know, it, it, it started then, you know, I had part of the cartilage back then, they kind of opened me up and took, took out part of the cartilage, left some of it there, but with the working out and all the walking I did, I started to feel a lot of pain, probably at age 35 to 40, okay. in my left knee, <clears throat> and... You know, I ended up doing my right, I have two brand new knees, but my right knee, because of all the, you know, leaning on it and supporting my bad knee, it became worse than my left knee. But, yeah, I mean, every day after I played golf, I had to go into the trailer and ice my knees every day after because I had to get that blood circulating again and prepare for the next day. So it was it was constant in that there was always pain, uh, and it got worse and worse as, as the years went on. And, you know, you just get tired of that kind of preparation. You know, every day you've got to do something to get mm-hmm. ready to go out on the golf course. And, and you can't wear that T-shirt that says, my knees are killing me, you know. And, and you're walking up and down hills and you're swinging a golf club and you're favoring that knee and things, other things start to hurt. And <clears throat> it was tough, but fortunately it was at the end of my career where I really, you know, was hurting so much and, you know, pretty much walked like I was 100 years old because of the pain, um, but got through it with the help of, back then it was Health South and, and some of the other people that joined us eventually uh, in our workout trailer that helped me get through those years that I was starting to struggle with my knees. Um, and it wasn't fun. And, you know, the thing about golf, Tim, is we play with pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, tennis players can't play with that kind of pain. You know, they, they would have to, you know, withdraw from the tournament. But golfers, they play through a lot of pain because they have to. Right. Um, and 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 it just it was really a tough time. But 
you know, in the last five, six years, I have two brand new needs, which I love. And uh, I want to play a little bit more on the Legends Tour this year. We didn't play much last year. So I'd love to do that. And I work on my game a little bit more. You know, I, I, when I play in the Legends Tour event, it's more of a social event for me because I love seeing the players that I grew up playing with, the ones that I beat, the ones that beat me. And I always kind of tease them that they're a lot more friendly now than they were back when we were on the LPGA Tour. Um, <laughs> And, and we go to dinner together, and it's, it's just a lot of fun to, to be out there on the Legends Tour and see my fellow professionals that, to me, really uh, grew the tour. You know, there's such great competition out there at that time. And, and players that, you know, I admire. Joan Corner was my idol. Um, I love the way she played golf. She was, a, a, you know, just her emotions were always level. I never saw her. You, you didn't know what she was shooting. Yeah. If she was playing bad, you didn't know it. If she was shooting good, you didn't know it. She was the same all the time. And, you know, Donna Capone, Sandra Palmer, all those older players that welcomed me to the LPGA Tour and pretty much handed me the torch to carry on. And then players like Bradley and, and Sheehan and um, you know, those kind of players that, and Parner, I played against her many times, how tough it was. And I knew when I was playing against them on Sunday, I was going to have my best game because they just bought the best out of me because they were so competitive. Um, and it was it was just fun to it's just fun to be at the Legends Tour now and be able to see them and, and enjoy some laughs and tell stories. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, there's always that talk. It always goes through our mind. Can imagine if we had the equipment of modern day. Uh, but the thing was, I think <laughs> the old equipment kind of separated the greats like you. And the players you named before are from the rest. It kind of separated. You had to have the skill levels, and it wasn't a club making up for that. And I think that was the beauty in our era that we played with. Is yeah. The equipment wasn't near as good, and that's what made the game difficult. And I, I, there's nothing wrong with the current equipment. It makes the average guy enjoy golf, and we get more people playing. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, but, right. you know, you mentioned coming towards the end of your career. I think you had like a farewell tour that last year. You know, what was that like, that knowing that you were going to retire from a game that you have loved since eight years old uh, and it had so much success and has, you know, just blessed you with your life? What was that like, that last, you know, few events coming down at the end, knowing this was my career on the LPGA was coming to an end? Uh, are you trying to make me cry? No, I'm not too. And no one would know if you were or not because we're not, you know, we can't see each other. That's the beauty of a podcast. But no, I mean, I, I just, you know, well, you I, know. I, I think it just had to be rewarding to go back and look at all the great things you accomplished. And you kind of look back and say, man, that was a great ride. But it was, uh, you, you quit yeah. on your terms. I think that's the beauty of it. Yeah, it, it was it was great, Jim. It was hard, though, because. I couldn't go back to every town to say goodbye to all the fans that followed me and, and supported my career. And, yeah, it was really hard because when you play a game that you love and, and a world that you love, I mean, I love the LPGA world. I love my fellow players. I loved, you know, saying I was an LPGA player and seeing, you know, every tournament I went to, people were saying goodbye. And, it was tough. I mean, mm. I, I the last hole, walking up 18, the the, the uh, applause that these people gave me as they said goodbye, and oh my gosh, it was really hard. Um, and it, it was funny, one tournament, I'm walking up 18, and you know those faces on the stick yeah. that people put? I didn't know this. I'm walking up to the 18th green, and I look up, and 
everybody has my face on a stick. Oh, wow. And, and I mean, there were hundreds of people in the stands, and it kind of scared me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up like, holy cow. That's awesome. Um, but it was so sweet. I mean, the people were so awesome, and the players, too. And, you know, it was it was sad saying goodbye because I love competing. I mean, I, I still love competing. Whenever I play in anything, I'm always just blinding, you know, trying to, to hit that bench on. And now I've joined the Women's Association here at my, at my club. And I don't play in the individual stuff, but when I play in the team stuff, I have the best time. And then Ed and I played in the husband and wife thing the other day, and uh, we ended up winning uh, growth. Uh, and, of course, we won $100 pro shop credit, and that excites me so much. You're like I am. I won, I won some kind of fundraiser, $100. I couldn't wait to go get a shirt. It's like I don't need a shirt, but I got a free shirt. I just won money. It's a $100 gift certificate. You'd have thought I won the uh-huh. tour championship. But, you know, that's Jack Nicholas is like that. He would come to a few of the champions events or PJ Tour champions events, and he was so competitive still, and it's a scramble for fun. And he would, I would say, I, well, I, said, I said, how about that Pat Arnold made? He goes, well, how about all the shots I hit? And I was like, okay, 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 I get it. You know, and it was just, it just, it never leaves. I, I, it's, it's amazing no. that competitiveness inside of us. And you talk about that, like the Solheim Cup. And that's, I've been really fortunate to cover a couple of those, actually. Uh, and, and just to see that competitiveness from both teams and the passion. You know, I was on a Ryder Cup team and President's Cup team. But for the women, the Solheim Cup is is an amazing event that I've been part of, and I know you've been part of them, and vice captain, captain, and all that. But this last one at Glen Eagles, and I know for the U.S. and and I bleed red, white, and blue with the best of them. But as an announcer, you can't do that. Cannot say we ever. And uh, you know, just to see Pedersen make that putt and just that raw emotion and competitiveness come out from someone who wasn't playing that well, and then walk off. My career's over. Yeah. Oh, what a way to finish. But yeah. Solheim Cup's been an amazing. Yeah. And I know you've enjoyed that, uh, watching that competition over the years, haven't you? I, I have, Jim. The Solheim Cup um, has grown to be some kind of event. I mean, it's just awesome. I, you know, I played in the very first, in 1990, at Lake Nona, outside of Orlando. And I think there are only eight of us in or ten. It was, it was a small group. But... Kathy Whitworth was our captain. Of course, you know, now there's strategy and mm-hmm. strategy. You know, who's going to tee off? Who's going to hit in the green? Who's running great? I want to get you on the green to compete. What was, you know, it was a different event. The first one, we weren't sure how many people were going to show up. Uh, Kathy put Pat Bradley and I together as a team. We were the first uh, first team to tee off in the first Solheim Cup. We were playing against Allison Nicholas and Laura Davies and you know, we're standing on the first team. You know, we haven't had any strategy talk on who's doing what. We're standing on the first team. And I had already won probably about 13 tournaments. Pat probably had won about 14. We were really close to how many tournaments we had won on the LPGA Tour. And I look over at her, and I'm like, um, how are you feeling? She says, I'm, I'm nervous. And <laughs> she, looks, and she goes, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm nervous, too. And, you know, it's like, you know, you're playing for your country. Yeah. different. And so I look over at her and go, um, well, are you, you hit first. She goes, no, you hit first. And then you hit first. <laughs> that, that was our strategy. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's, we, that's, it, it is. I mean, we were nervous and, and, and but honored. I mean, so honored to play for, you, for your country. And so we ended up 
back then in 1990, the American players hammered the European players. And, but then from that day on, it changed. Yeah, and game the on. Europeans were like, we're not going to do this anymore. <clears throat> so they start building their team. I mean, they really have a very strong team. They have for years. Um, you know, cause I, when I was captain in 2005, I had this great team. Um, and, you know, I watched them for two years. And, you know, I just the excitement of building a team out of a bunch of individuals was a big goal for me because I knew each one of those players. I watched them for two years trying to figure out who I was going to pick how it was going to work, if, you know, if, if those players fit well on my team. And it was important because you have to have everybody, you know, just kind of mesh together to create a team where we're not individuals anymore. And my big goal is to hopefully be leading after alternate shot because we've stunk at alternate shot. And so when I was captain, we would have our practice rounds. I made them play alternate shot. I would put two different teams together. They would switch at nine holes and play with another um, player, and I'd get feedback. Never told anybody what any player told me. I just wanted to figure out who was going to be the best with the other player. Um, and we weren't very far behind after, after uh, alternate shot that first day because usually we're a few few points behind. But we were pretty close, and so you know now we're playing, and and I knew these players could play individually. I didn't have any. You know, I wasn't worried about that at all. And so we ended up winning that Solheim Cup uh, <clears throat> and was at Indianapolis Cricket Stick. And um, I was so proud of them. They were such a team. Um, I mean, they were just, I mean, there were players like it was Laura Diaz, uh, Beth Daniel, Meg Mallon, Julie Inkster, I don't want to miss anybody, Rosie Jones, Christy Kerr, Christina Kim, uh, Paula Kramer, Natalie Golbus. I mean, I had just the Oh, uh, Michelle Redman, I don't want to miss anybody. They were just awesome. It was so much fun. And, I mean, we had a great team. And then uh, the last years, you know, our last six years, I was assistant captain at Julie Easter. And like you said, we didn't win. Suzanne Pedersen, who we I, – I, I can't say we feared her as much as some of the other players because she wasn't playing. And she was pretty much getting ready for the Solheim Cup. And, you know, for her to make that putt was – some kind of great accomplishment. Oh, absolutely. Um, she played so well, and it was always a strong competitor. I mean, I, I, I probably wouldn't want to play against her just because she just you know wanted to beat the heck out of you. Um, but she won that, and you know, they were it was an awesome, awesome Solheim Cup. Of course, I wanted us to win, but I think it's always good for the other team to win once in a while. I think for them to win, and now we're going to be in Toledo this year. And we, it's more exciting, too, because now we need to get the cup back. And I think that is what competitiveness of the Solheim Cup is all about. Yeah. You know, I, now we're on U.S. soil, and now it's time for the U.S. team to win. Yeah, and it's and to have the fans back is going to be, and hopefully we get them back, because that's what makes the any of those competitions, it's the fans. And I, you know, I remember oh when they gosh, were going yeah. back and forth, are they going to have the Ryder Cup? Not, I said, not if they don't have fans, because otherwise it's just a bunch of guys out there playing golf. Because they make it, yeah. and and I know I've been I've been watching both the captains have been out checking it out. I've talked to Pat a little bit, Hurst, and just it's hard when you have to make some picks and you're trying to figure out whose personalities, whose games. 
go together. Mm-hmm. I think in the in the foursomes or the alternate shot, I think they play it over in in the UK more in in Europe. They're more yeah. comfortable with it. I loved it. I'd only got to play it in the Presidents Cup because I felt like I was always a great ball striker, and it kind of played. But there's a different pressure there. There's the pressure of the team, yeah. event, but now the pressure of you know foursomes it's it's a it's hard to explain that to people and it's it's the ultimate competition and it's fun to play but you're right it's it's going to be fun to watch them at Inverness and 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 get back at it and watch both teams go at it but I know I've taken up a lot of your time and I appreciate uh you spending some time with I'm going to ask you one tough question and and it it could be any answer and it's going to be when you look back at your career what are you most proud of and it doesn't have to be a tournament or whatever but what are you most proud of when you when you now that you look back at uh, your career um you know i i just loved playing golf on the lpj tour um i hope that i represented my tour and still do to the best of my ability um, but it has to be a win for me, and it was being the captain of the 2005 Solheim Cup. That was my proudest time. I think you know, being a captain of the U.S. team and having this fabulous team that played for me um, and winning that team event probably was the feather in my cap as an LPJ player that won 48 tournaments, but then being able to, to win that, that tournament with these great players was was an exciting time in my career for me. Well, that's a great answer, and that proves just how great your career was and the great way to end your career. And as I like to end the podcast, whether life or golf, you may have only one shot, and you got to make it count. You've made it count. You've represented not only the LPGA but the game. And it's been fun to be having you on here. I've been wanting to get you on, and we finally did. And uh, and enjoy that. Go win you a couple more gift certificates. I know you, you can't wait to win a couple bucks, maybe a couple hundred bucks on the next one. But, uh, Nancy, thanks for sending some time with us. All right, Jim. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you.